0: Welcome to ModPath Chat, the official podcast of Modern Pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the Editor-in-Chief of Modern Pathology and the Chair of Pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto.
1: Welcome to a new episode of Mod Path Chat. My guest today is Dr. Stuart Schnitt. Dr. Schnitt is the Chief of Breast Oncologic Pathology at the Dana-Farber and Brigham and Women Hospital, where he also serves as the Associate Director of their Breast Oncology Program. He is a Professor of Pathology at Harvard Medical School. Uh, usually, I try to make the introduction short, but uh, in this case, given the strong and intertwined uh, uh, career uh, that uh, Dr. Schneider had with the USCAP, and the USCAP being our uh, uh, our uh, uh, academy uh, of the journal, I want to highlight that uh, he is uh, uh, a past served as past president of the academy and has been the recipient of many awards. Probably all the awards that we have in the academy, the, you, you've got them at one time or another, uh, Stu. So he's the recipient of the Arthur uh, Purdy Stout uh, Society Annual Prize, the F.K. Mostofi Service Award, and the Harvey Goldman uh, Teaching Award. So we couldn't have uh, uh, a, a greater contributor to ASCAP than Dr. Schnitt today. Thank you, Stu for accepting my invitation.
0: Uh, Thank you, George. Uh, I really appreciate being invited to participate in this podcast. And uh, I hope uh, I can sort of inform you about more details related to our article.
1: Excellent. So the article that we're going to discuss and uh, we were discussing before the podcast is becoming a trend in many organ systems. We're looking at uh, post-neoadjuvant chemotherapy, uh, evaluating the histologic changes in in the various tumors. And of course, in this case, uh, is is breast cancer that we're going to focus on. And uh, it's related to what can we uh, discern some clinical pathologic features pre therapy that can uh, predict the patterns. So uh, that's the article that came out online uh, recently and uh, also in print. So well, let's start by saying why, uh, why did you do the study?
0: So the reason we did this study is, as you noted, more and more patients with breast cancer are being treated with neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And among those who have residual disease, that is, those who don't have a pathologic complete response, we and others for many years have noticed that there are different patterns of residual disease. And there has been this urban legend out there for years that ER positive tumors tend to have a scattered pattern of response and triple negative. Breast cancers tend to have a circumscribed pattern of response. And you see that cited in many articles, typically without any references. Mm-hmm. So when we actually went to find the data on which those statements were based, we didn't find any. I was absolutely shocked. I couldn't find any scientific papers published in peer reviewed journals that actually provided data to support that. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those things where, you know, in my career, I've had several studies where I thought of an idea for a study and I said, somebody must have done this. I mean, it's so obvious, but this was another example where, you know, I said, somebody had to have done this. Otherwise, where would these data come from? But
1: nobody had done a study so like this. It was this purely and, based on our personal observations yeah. and none of us went and did it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, and, you know, I think a lot of it may have been based on radiologic findings mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, the radiologic residual disease tended to be more scattered in patients with um, ER positive than triple negative breast cancers. But um, so we decided to look at this in a systematic way. And Terry King, who's the chief of uh, breast surgical oncology at our institution, had put together a cohort of uh, women treated with neoadjuvant chemotherapy at our institution for breast cancer between 2004 and 2014. So already this is sort of an older population, uh, you know, in terms of time, but there is the advantage is that there is now, you know, long-term follow-up, you know, for these patients. Um, So we identified uh, 665 patients treated with neoadjuvant chemotherapy in that time period for whom the slides were available for review. And among those, uh, there were 389 patients who did not have a PCR and had residual disease in the breast. And those patients really were the focus of the study um, to evaluate the patterns of residual disease in the breast in those patients who didn't have a PCR. Now, then the issue was, well, how do we define the patterns of response? So, again, I went to the literature And there was nothing, there were no guidelines on what criteria you should use to categorize the patterns of response as circumscribed or diffuse or uh, multifocal or scattered. So, You know, this actually took us a very long time. We looked at probably, I don't know, 40 or 50 cases, uh, consecutive cases of patients treated with neoadjuvant chemotherapy, just to try to see if we can bundle these into different categories. Um, So we eventually came up with a schema that I think should be fairly reproducible and is highlighted in our figure two. And we basically came up with four patterns of residual disease, uh, two of which are more circumscribed and two of which are more diffuse. And I don't need to go into the details now, but for the purposes of the analysis in the study, we broke the patterns of residual disease into these two broad categories of relatively circumscribed and more scattered.
1: And the images you show, I mean, the the circumscribed, some some cases in the circumscribed do have some fibrosis and, right. and separating the nest, so it doesn't mean just all of them is one Correct. novel. But in general, you can almost put your uh, draw line around. Exactly, around the exactly.
0: and there are no intervening slides between the slides with tumor that are just fibrosis or tumor bed. So you're right. You're absolutely right. The circumscribed pattern doesn't need to be a solid sheet of cells some of the circumscribed lesions had, you know, a little bit of fibrosis in between them but not a lot of fibrosis breaking it up into individual cells or small cell nests. So um, the bulk of this work was actually done by Ricardo Pastorello, who's a pathologist from uh, Brazil, who was doing a research uh, fellowship uh, with uh, the Breast Surgical Oncology Group and worked with me closely on uh, the pathology-related issues. And Ricardo did an amazing job. There were thousands of slides, as you can imagine, from uh, you know, almost 400 cases of post-neoadjuvant uh, um, breast specimens, and as you probably know, in these post-neoadjuvant cases, we often have to put through lots of slides because we're looking to find cases with a PCR, or or that is to prove a negative. And it always takes more slides to prove a negative sure. than if you have a 15 centimeter tumor sitting in the breast. Right? You don't need That's- a lot of slides for that.
1: I just want to remind the audience, PCR here referred to pathologic complete response. Correct. Yeah.
0: Thanks. So anyway, um, Ricardo, you know, looked at all of these slides um, and I looked at a whole bunch with him to make sure we were on the same page, I looked at cases in which there were questions or concerns. Uh, The the problem is in order to categorize these uh, tumors and the residual disease and the various patterns, it wasn't only good enough to look at the gross description in the pathology report, we needed to look at the radiology findings in many of these cases as well. So it really required a combination of clinical and radiologic and pathologic features to try to figure out these patterns of uh, residual disease. Uh, But again, it emphasizes the multidisciplinary um, effort that's really required, you know, to adequately deal with breast specimens and many other specimens as well.
1: So, so, so you do that on a day-to-day basis, or this is something you did just no, for We
0: do that on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you know, I can't tell you how much time uh, our breast fellows and residents spend on EPIC, you know, looking up the radiologic images, and particularly mm-hmm. when we get uh, uh, specimens, you know, very often, even in the non-neoadjuvant mastectomy specimens, these patients often have had two or more, uh, excisions with different clips. So we need to correlate, you know, which clip went with which, uh, excision and what were the pathologic findings in each excision. So these cases require an enormous amount of work. Um, but really doing them without patholo- without radiologic correlation really is not doing anybody a service.
1: So, besides the patterns, uh, which which now let's move. So, we spoke about the design and uh, impressive number of cases and follow-up. The, for the findings, I know we talked about the patterns, but there was an element looking at the actual cyto, cytology, right? The elements of how the tumor looked. and, and, and Yeah, yeah.
0: So, also. so, in addition to differences in pattern, let me just say that the the, the sort of single bullet finding in this study was that, in fact, What was the urban legend proved to be correct. So we found that um, about 90% of patients with hormone receptor positive HER2 negative disease among those who had residual disease had a scattered pattern, whereas only about 10% of those patients had a circumscribed pattern. In contrast, among triple negative breast cancers, (laughs) the residual patterns were pretty much split half had a scattered pattern and half had a uh, more circumscribed pattern. You know, there are all kinds of biological possibilities about why that may be the case. We can talk about that later if we have time. But another, um, you know, observation we made was that uh, there were differences among different tumor subtypes with regard to what the tumor cells looked like after chemotherapy and actually what changes were in the tumor bed after chemotherapy. So... Among tumor cell changes, things like moderate or marked cytologic atypia, vacualization or foaminess of the cytoplasm, and tumor cells looking like histiocytes were all features that were much more common in residual tumor among patients with triple negative disease than among patients with hormone receptor positive disease. In addition, if you look at the tumor bed, the tumor beds look somewhat different among these different breast cancer subtypes. So the tumor beds in patients with triple negative disease tended to have more prominent foamy uh, uh, histiocytes, hemocytorin-laden histiocytes or macrophages, and hemocytorin deposition, whereas the stroma in ER-positive or hormone receptor-positive tumors tended uh, to be more likely to tended to more likely show things like elastosis
1: and myxoid change. Traditional stuff. Yeah. And uh, of course, I mean, it's it it's a little counterintuitive, but, but I want to remind, you know, one of the, Expected findings, I guess, that the ER positive, uh, HER2 negative group uh, only seven percent, seven to eight percent had had complete a PCR, response, right? and uh, as opposed to uh, the others, more aggressive responded more in terms of complete response. Exactly.
0: So, I mean, this is nothing new, and and but it actually just confirms that our data are in keeping with everybody else's. That you know, neoadjuvant chemotherapy, pathologic complete responses are much higher in. Um, Uh, triple negative and HER2 positive cancers than hormone receptor positives. And in in our series, the, um, you know, PCR rate for hormone re- for uh, HER2 positive and triple negative breast cancers was about 40%. But remember, these were patients treated between 2004 and 2014. Over the last five or six years, there are some studies that show PCR rates on the order of 50, 60% uh, for triple negative breast cancers and HER2 positive breast cancers. So chemotherapy and HER2 targeted therapy has even gotten better than, you know, when we did our study uh, um, in terms of those subgroups. To patients.
1: So things may may change down the road if we look at uh, even future Three, patients. Yes. So uh, so what is. First, uh, did you feel that now, I know you did it blindly, you didn't know who received and and what kind of therapy, uh, what kind of tumor was the pre. Uh, You think now looking at the post, uh, you're more able to predict uh, this is a HER2 positive, this used to be a triple negative? Yeah,
0: yeah. I I like to play this game with our our residents and fellows. When I sign out, I look at the uh, post neoadjuvant specimen and I say, don't tell me anything about the pre-treatment specimen. And, you know, I try to predict what the receptor status was. But, you know, given the fact that 90% of um, hormone receptor positive HER2 negatives have a scattered pattern of residual disease, you know, if you're a betting person, if you see a scattered pattern of residual disease, I think you should say that it's likely to be hormone receptor positive. I mean, you're going to be wrong in some cases. But, you know, on
1: the other hand, if you see a circumscribed pattern, that's
0: really uncommon in hormone receptor positive mm-hmm. disease.
1: Um, so clearly, I mean, the purpose is now okay. So maybe this should guide how, how surgery upfront was done. Or uh, so tell well, us what, what you expect. This is what's amazing. yeah. So
0: so I think there are several issues that we still want to further investigate. One is what is the uh, clinical significance of the different patterns of residual disease? Do they predict subsequent uh, local regional recurrence? Do they sub, uh, predict subsequent systemic? recurrence. We don't know that. We're actually looking at that in this series now. One of the uh, junior um, breast surgeons is doing that analysis. But the other thing is that this may help to guide post-neoadjuvant chemotherapy surgery. So, you know, there a meta-analysis has shown that there is no difference between adjuvant chemotherapy and neoadjuvant chemotherapy in terms of recurrence for your overall survival. So the whole reason for doing, well, one of the main reasons for doing neoadjuvant uh, therapy is to kind of downstage the tumors so that patients who may have needed a mastectomy can then be treated with breast conserving therapy. So The idea would be to, you know, after chemotherapy, prevent as many people from needing a mastectomy as possible. So, you know, if we know, for example, that the residual tumor is more likely to be circumscribed, the surgeon may feel more confident in doing a local excision than saying the patient needs a mastectomy. So I think, you know, our data suggests that for triple negative breast cancers, those patients may actually... Be more likely to be adequately treated with a lumpectomy than a mastectomy for somebody who has scattered residual disease all over the
1: breast. Um, maybe that, so, less yeah, is, so, is okay. Yeah, less, less aggressive, is okay. Wow, uh, that's and and from the biology, why why do you think? Yeah, you touched upon it. So let's let's finish with. Yeah, that. so
0: so it's really interesting. So you know, whenever I see data like this, you know you could say, well, hormone receptor positive cases are more likely to be scattered, triple negative more likely to be uh, circumscribed. But 10% of the hormone receptor positive cases are circumscribed, and 50% of the triple negatives are scattered. So why are some triple negatives scattered? And why are some triple negatives uh, more circumscribed? And We don't have any idea why. I mean, it's been hypothesized by one of my basic science colleagues that maybe this has to do with chemo-resistant stem cells that are a small population and that perhaps among hormone receptor positive cases, the scattered pattern is due to sort of these scattered stem cells uh, uh, in the tumor, and the chemotherapy knocks off the more resistant proliferating cells and leaves these residual stem cells and their immediate progeny scattered around. And that maybe that's an epigenetic event. But, you know, who knows? And and in fact, when I generated uh, when we generated these data, I talked to one of my basic science colleagues who was absolutely intrigued by this and said that maybe he would get one of his postdocs to start looking at, you know, sort of the stem cell niche and the reasons for chemotherapy resistance in some of these cases uh, at at a molecular level. So, you know, it's yet another Mm -hmm. example of how. You know, again, if you look back at this study, there's not an immunostain that was done on these cases. There wasn't any molecular stuff. So studies like this prove that good old fashioned, very careful and vigilant H&E examination can generate clinically important data, or at least what I think are clinically important data, even in 2021.
1: I think it's a safe bet. If you think it's important, then probably <laughs> it is important in breast cancer. So, uh, Stu, thank you very much. Uh, one last question before I let you go is, uh, do you report any, include anything like this about the patterns, the amounts? Uh, because I know in other organs, people are starting to grade the residual and uh, in term of amount, uh, do you do anything like that in breast?
0: Yeah. So in breast in the United States, the two ways we typically categorize the post treatment residual disease, is using the um, AJCC staging system and using the residual cancer burden that was developed by uh, our colleagues at MD Anderson. And the residual cancer burden takes into account the size of the tumor bed, the percent cellularity, the percent of the tumor that's DCIS, uh, uh, nodal status, the size of the biggest node. And there is a. Uh, um, a computer program on the MD Anderson website where we plug in that number and we get um, the RCB score, which is prognostic in all types of breast cancer. So that's largely what our clinicians use to guide further therapy now. But, you know, again, that brings up the question, if somebody has RCB2, which is the middle grade, and has scattered residual disease, is that the same as RCB2 and circumscribed residual disease? We, We have no idea.
1: Maybe that's the next study.
0: All yeah. Right. So for thank those, resi- those residents and fellows out there, there are still more studies to do.
1: Exactly. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you this morning and look forward to more of your work and more of your involvement in ASCAP.
0: Thank thanks again, and thanks for your interest. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Netto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Katherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions. Music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.